This is CPX number 70, The Holy Mass, Part 1. We are in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 79 to 80, if you're using this version of it. We are in question 1 through 10. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Okay, just a quick note before we start here. I have a lot to say on today. And because of that, I'm going to do a commentary after each question, at least starting about halfway through this 1 through 10. So again, there's 1 through 10 questions. 1 through 5, I'm going to do pretty much the same. But then 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, I'm going to get my commentary in between each one of those. Maybe let me know in the YouTube comments if you like it that way. And also today, you are going to hear a lot of contrasting between the Old Mass and the New Mass. What is the Old Mass? The Old Mass is what I frequently call the traditional Latin Mass. It goes back to, at the very latest, the 6th century. The New Mass was invented in the 60s. This is the one where the priest usually faces you, you hear his words, and it's usually in the vernacular. Vernacular means same language on the inside of the church as outside English, French, Spanish, Portuguese. Now, to be honest, I'm really trying not to uh, compare and contrast this stuff as much. I really just want to be a light to the world. but. I have to show how my thinking and my understanding of the Mass has changed so much that I do really need to show the differences in the mindset on the Mass in the minds of, say, modernist Catholics versus apostolic Catholics. So trying to get away from all this contrast type uh, theology, but today is so striking when we read how a Pope wrote about this just 120 years ago. We really have to see why the Eucharist comes from the sacrifice. So let's begin on page 79 on the essence, the institution, and the ends or goals of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Number one, should the Holy Eucharist be considered only as a sacrament? Answer, the Holy Eucharist, besides being a sacrament, is also the permanent sacrifice of the new law, which Jesus Christ left to his church to be offered to God by the hands of his priests. Number two, in what in general, does a sacrifice consist? Answer, in general, a sacrifice consists in the offering of some sensible thing to God and in some way destroying it as an acknowledgement of his supreme dominion over us and over all things. Number three, what is this sacrifice of the new law called? Answer, this sacrifice of the new law is called the Holy Mass. Number four, what then is the Holy Mass? Answer, the Holy Mass is the sacrifice of the body and blood of Jesus Christ offered on our altars under the appearances of bread and wine in commemoration of the sacrifice of the cross. Number five, is the sacrifice of the Mass the same as that of the cross? Answer, the sacrifice of the Mass is substantially the same as that of the cross for the same Jesus Christ who offered himself on the cross. It is who offers himself by the hands of the priests, his ministers on our altars. But as regards the way in which he is offered, the sacrifice of the Mass differs from the sacrifice of the cross, though retaining the most intimate and essential relation to it. Okay, if you were to ask the average Catholic in the 1970s, why do you go to Mass? They would say for the community. Now, in the 90s, things were a little bit better. People said, if you go to the Mass, why would you go? They would say, I go for the true presence of Jesus Christ because I want to receive Jesus. But if you had asked my great-grandparents from Ireland why they went to the Mass, they would say, 
because it's the holy sacrifice of the Mass. If you had asked my great-great-grandparents in Ireland, they would have said, because we want to go to the holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you had asked the Indians who were converted by St. Francis Xavier in the 15th century, even if they could only get to Mass, say, once a year with a visiting Jesuit after Francis Xavier left for Malacca or Japan, they would say, we go because of the holy sacrifice. But nowadays, if you were to ask an average priest, why should we go to Mass? He would probably say, because you need the Eucharist, because you need Jesus. It's not a bad answer, but it just doesn't line up with the 19th century or the 18th century or the 17th century or the 16th century. What every saint from 33 to 1950 would have said is the same thing. It is a sacrifice. And, you know, this is really seen in how the Masses were designed. The Mass that was designed in the 1960s has the priest facing you, even though you can kind of find these rules and the rubrics that say he isn't supposed to be facing you. Ultimately, the people who designed it wanted the priest facing the people. Ultimately, they wanted it in the language of the people. Ultimately, they had their way in getting communion in the hands. And so this starts to represent a meal because the theology is that of a meal. And that's, that's not me being mean or conspiracy theorist. If you look at the people who wrote the new Mass, they admitted that they took out all of the aspects of the offertory that were propitiatory-based, meaning sacrifice-based. They admit that they wanted this Mass, the Mass of Paul VI, to be pleasing to Protestants because the notion to Protestants that there would be another sacrifice besides that of Christ on the cross is very offensive. We're going to see a little bit later why that's not the case, why the Mass is not another sacrifice from the cross, but why it is the same sacrifice as the cross. But in the 60s, I don't think they knew this. I think they, they just simply wanted to make this a happy meal for the Protestants who might be attending. And this has greatly affected the theology of, of everybody alive. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, think of what a priest looked like in the Old Testament. His back was to the people. Uh, Josephus would say that at the time of Passover, when he had to slaughter all these lambs, he was up to his ankles in blood. This was a bloody ordeal in the Old Testament. If you went to Jerusalem during the time of Passover, the priest again had his back to you. Um, there was knives out. It was, a, it was a very bloody experience. And then he would put these pomegranate branches up the spine and across the back hooves, or front hooves rather, of the lamb. And people would go home with this lamb to put into a spit in their oven. Amazingly, these lambs looked like they were crucified. Jesus took the place of this. His bloody sacrifice on the cross took the place of, of uh, all these animals. And we know that in the Old Testament, according to Hebrews, the blood of the animals sacrificed only sanctified for the purification of the flesh, not the conscience. This is the big difference. All of the, all of the acts of sacrifice in the Old Testament, as it says in Hebrews, sanctified for the purification of the flesh. This summer, just remember SPF. That's as I told you before, I can never remember anything unless it's in mnemonics. SPF, like your sunscreen, sanctifies for the purification for the flesh. That is what sacrifice of animals does. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross purifies our conscience and our souls. This is very, very different. And so if you look at the old mass, the traditional Latin mass, at first people go to that and they're like, why is the priest back to me? But then as you start to look up that very tall, high altar, you start to sense, oh, I'm not at a meal I'm at a sacrifice. Even though we know the Mass is an unbloody sacrifice, I'm not going to say it's a bloody sacrifice. We're going to get to that in a minute, too. The priest with his back to you at what they used to call holy violence to God. Remember how St. Great Green Azianzen says that the priest sunders, that means cuts, sunders with unbloody cut 
the body and blood of the Lord using his voice as a sword. People often say that's just a devotional theology that came up in the Middle Ages. No, 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 that was a church father. In fact, an Eastern church father, St. Gregory Nazianzen, I think 5th century, the priest sunders with unbloody cut the body and blood of the Lord using his voice as a sword. So when you go to Latin Mass and the priest's back is to you, you're not wrong to think of the Old Testament with the priest with his back to you making bloody sacrifice and atonement to God. Again, nobody likes the idea of satisfaction these days because it implies God is angry. And we're going to get to that in a minute too. I don't think it has to imply an emotional anger, but there is a sense of satisfaction that has to be made because we are making infinite offense by our daily sins against an infinite God. And therefore, there has to be a continued sacrifice, even though it is the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross represented on the altars through all of time. Number six, what difference and relation then is there between the sacrifice of the Mass and that of the cross? Answer, between the sacrifice of the Mass and that of the cross, there is this difference in relation that on the cross, Jesus Christ offered himself by shedding his blood and meriting for us, whereas on our altars he sacrifices himself without the shedding of his blood and applies to us the fruits of his passion and death. Okay, now it's me, Father David Nick speaking. Notice earlier I said that the cross was a bloody sacrifice. The mass is an unbloody sacrifice, even though we priests drink the resurrected blood of Jesus Christ at that mass. Now, one of the main differences between this is even though we know that the mass is the representation, not the representation, but the representation of the cross on the altar, there's another significant difference that you may have just heard there, number six, and the key is meriting versus applies. You see, when Jesus was on the cross 2,000 years ago in Israel, he merited all of our redemptions. Remember what we say in the Mass, and this is in the Old Mass and the New Mass. It is by dying that he has destroyed our death. By rising, he has restored our life. However, what's interesting is the Mass applies the fruits of this passion and death to us who exist in time on earth. Just as Jesus was on the cross in time and on earth. But what happens is that applies the merits, the infinite merits of Christ on the cross through all of time. This is the great gift of the Mass. This might explain, by the way, why Padre Pio, his stigmata, which was unbelievably painful when he wasn't at Mass, became doubly painful or ten times as painful. I don't know how he can go through that much pain at Mass when he was offering it. Um, we're going to see in a minute this doesn't mean that there is a new sacrifice, but it is the same sacrifice and the saints partake in that. Number seven, what other relation has the sacrifice of the Mass to that of the cross? Answer, another relation of the sacrifice of the Mass to that of the cross is that the sacrifice of the Mass represents in a sensible way the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross because in virtue of the words of consecration, only the body of our Savior is made present under the species of the bread and only his blood under the species of the wine, although by natural concomitance and by the hypostatic union, the living and real Jesus Christ is present under each of the species. Okay, back to me, Father David Nix here. Notice then that often if you ask, as I said, a relatively pious person why they go to the new mass, they'll often say, to receive the true presence of Jesus. Great answer, or decent answer, I should say. But notice that in number seven here, this was just one of the things that Pope St. Pius X said is important about the Mass. Quote, the body of our Savior made present, end quote. But it's so important to realize that even though it sounds really pious to talk about the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and, and it is even accurate, it's very accurate to speak of it, 
Here's the key, if you remember anything from today, the presence comes from the sacrifice. The presence of Christ in the Eucharist comes from the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, which is the same as the sacrifice of the Mass. And because all of the vocabulary, or much of the vocabulary of sacrifice has been taken out of the new Mass, this is one reason why people don't really understand they are at a sacrifice just as violent as if they were attending a temple um, Passover sacrifice in the Old Testament. Again, the Mass is an unbloody sacrifice, but the representation is the exact same as the crucifixion of Christ. So if you were to take a time machine back to Christ being crucified on Calvary, remember that happened on a real day in a real place to a real person. This isn't just imaginary cartoon catechesis. If you were to take a time machine back, how would you dress? How would you speak? How would you walk into Calvary if you had this time machine? Would you just be kind of trashing the coffee right before you get to Golgotha? Would you be uh, joking with your brothers and sisters? How would you go to a crucifixion? This is the same question you need to ask when you go to Mass. And back to the Pope's words, number eight, is not the sacrifice of the cross the one only sacrifice of the new law? Answer, the sacrifice of the cross is the one only sacrifice of the new law inasmuch as through it our Lord satisfied divine justice, acquired all the merits necessary to save us, and thus on his part fully accomplished our redemption. These merits, however, he applies to us through the means instituted by him in his church, among which is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Okay, back to my words here. So notice again that the Pope is talking about applying the merits, the infinite merits, one once for all, by Christ on the cross. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this to non-Catholic Christians, especially Protestants, Evangelicals, Baptists, Methodists, they will quote us Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just read that to you. And I want you to think of this as being contrary to the Mass from it. Understand that they kind of have a good argument with this, but we're going to see how the Church Fathers saw this. Listen to Hebrews 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Okay, so right there, we have to remember, Paul is writing this to the early Jewish converts or potential converts to Christianity for them to understand that the sacrifice they were doing of bulls and goats was only a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, if Paul, who wrote Hebrews according to the church fathers, did not believe that Jesus had a body for a sacrifice, then that negates everything he wrote in the New, in the New Testament. Listen again, he's talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took a body, and this is why he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, and also sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Body is the key word there. You know, if you go look at 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, He who eats and drinks the body and the blood unworthily eats and drinks condemnation on himself. So right there, the key word is the body of Jesus. We understand and we know 
St. Paul was a priest and a bishop who offered the sacrifice of the Mass not as a replacement of the one sacrifice of Calvary, but as the representation of that one sacrifice. So when Paul is writing these Hebrew priests saying that we don't need repeat sacrifices, he's correct. We don't need repeat sacrifices of goats and bulls. The Mass is the one single sacrifice of Calvary. And once you line up Hebrews 10 with 1 Corinthians 11, it becomes very, very, very clear St. Paul was a Catholic priest who offered the Holy Mass. Number nine, for what ends then is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass offered? Answer, the sacrifice of the Mass is offered to God for four ends or goals. One, to honor him properly, and hence it is called loteretical. Number two, to thank him for his favors, and hence it is called eucharistical. Number three, to appease him, make him do satisfaction for our sins and to help the souls in purgatory, and hence it is called propitiatory. And number four, to obtain all the graces necessary for us, and hence it is called impetratory. Okay, my words again here. Notice these four things. That word that I stumbled over, lautrutical, just means laud-based or praise-based. So the first goal of the Mass is to praise God. Uh, the second is to thank him for his favors, hence Eucharist. Everybody knows Eucharist means thanksgiving. Number three, to appease him or make satisfaction for our sins. We're going to come back to that one in a minute. And number four, to obtain the graces necessary for us, and hence it's called impetratory. You know, someone had told me a story. I can't really confirm this, but th they said when all the priests got kicked out of Cuba, one priest um, filled a whole warehouse with Eucharistic bread and said the words of consecration over it. And when I heard this story 10 or 15 years ago, I kind of thought it was cool, but I kind of had a gut instinct. Something was a little off in that. Well, there's a lot of things off in that. One is who's going to protect that warehouse of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And two, even though it seemed like a nice idea to leave the Cuban people if all the priests got kicked off the island when communism came, whatever, 50, 60 years ago, even though it seems like a good idea to keep the true presence there, it has separated the presence from the sacrifice. See, guys, this is what I'm getting at in all of this. The presence comes from the sacrifice. So when you separate that, it leads to Eucharistic sacrileges and it leads to a misunderstanding of the Eucharist being attached to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So it wasn't a good idea if this actually happened 50 years ago in Cuba for this priest to say the words of consecration over a bunch of Eucharistic bread and then leave. Um, because who's going to guard that? And it separates the Eucharistic um, thanksgiving and praise from the actual sacrifice that must continue. Now, I do want to speak really quickly about this word, satisfaction for our sins. Um, again, we don't really like to talk about um, God having to be propitiated because this sounds like Calvinism, like this kind of uh, angry God was finally calmed down by um, the death of Jesus on the cross. But we do have to realize there is a balance in the universe that justice has to be met. Someone has to foot the bill for the infinite offense against God. I would really encourage you to listen to CPX 13. CPX 13, I explain why Jesus Christ had to be God and man to make atonement for our sins. And I talk about these various offenses. If you kick your dog in the face, what you have to do, kick your brother in the face, what you'd have to do to make atonement or make up, kick your mom in the face, God forbid, what you'd have to do to make up. And, and you know, all of these things take a little bit more satisfaction or a favor or whatever. But what happens if you kick God in the face? This is what happens every time you sin and I sin is we kick God in the face. Well, who can make satisfaction or atonement for an infinite offense against an infinite God. 
No amount of good works can possibly do that. Only an infinite sacrifice that is both boundless and blameless can do that. And this is why as sin continues through time, so also the mass must continue through time. Just as sins continue through time, so also the one sacrifice making propitiation must continue. I think it was Padre Pio who said, sooner could the earth exist without the sun than without the mass. There has to be satisfaction. Someone has to foot the bill for the increasing sins. I mean, you know, things, things are getting worse. The increasing sins um, happening in the world. This is why we need the holy sacrifice of the mass for earth to continue. And back to the Pope's words for the final one, number 10. What is it that offers to God the sacrifice of the Holy Mass? Answer, the first and principal offerer of the sacrifice of the Holy Mass is Jesus Christ, while the priest is the minister who, in the name of Jesus Christ, offers the same sacrifice to the Eternal Father. Okay, real quick, back to my words. Once I was traveling through Tampa, Florida, and I went into a um, regular English-speaking and Spanish-speaking church, not a Latin Mass church, and I hadn't offered my Mass that day. It was the afternoon. And I asked the parish secretary if I could go do my private Mass there. And she said, well, who are you with? I think she expected me to say, well, I have a busload of a youth group behind me ready to come in for Mass. And I said, I'm just alone. I'm just a priest traveling. And she said, wait, what? And she just, I explained myself very kindly, but she couldn't get her mind around it. Why in the world a priest would offer Holy Mass if he wasn't going to give out the Eucharist to other people. And this shows you right there, and ultimately she didn't let me offer Mass. <laughs> um, this shows you right there that the modernist Novus Ordo mindset on the Mass is if I can't get my Jesus vitamin, it's not worth offering. This is not how the apostles or any of the saints saw it. Who is it who offers himself to God the Father? It is God the Son offering himself to God the Father, which is an infinite sacrifice attended by billions of angels and millions or billions of saints. So me, as a hermit, when people say, oh, you just offer Mass alone? I usually don't say anything this snarky, but this would be a snarky but true reply. No, I have billions of angels and millions of saints at it. But even if those billions of angels and millions of saints weren't at my Mass, why would it still be worth it for me to offer up Holy Mass? Because it is God the Son offering himself to God the Father, regardless of who is around. This is why this is so important that we get our minds around the fact that the goal, the end, the telos of Mass is not just you and me. The main goal, the main telos of Mass is the honor and the glory of God. Even if no one's there to receive the Eucharist, even if, God forbid, no one can even receive the merits of that Mass because our minds have become so dark, it's still the most wonderful, powerful, excellent thing that can ever happen on this planet because it's God the Son offering himself as the God-man to God the Father in this holy sacrifice. Please say an Our Father for me. Et benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et mani et semper. Amen.